Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Patty. This week we reconnect with the Doctor and Joe, following the last story's cliffhanger ending. How will the story be resolved this week in Planet of the Daleks? We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story. So, to join the discussion, you can check us out at TimeTeamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now, though, Paddington, why don't you pick us up and continue with the story? Will do. Thank you very much. Episode 1. Joe puts the doctor onto a bed so that he can rest, and he tells her that if anything happens while he is passed out, then she must record it in an audio log. The Doctor tosses and turns in his delirium and repeatedly calls out for Joe, but then falls motionless again. Joe records all this in an audio log, remembering another incident where the Doctor entered a similar comatose state. However, before she can act on the memory, the TARDIS lands and she assumes it to be the work of the Time Lords. She is then distressed to see ice crystals forming on his face and his eyes wide open, but he remains unresponsive. She wraps him in blankets and his cloak and informs him that she intends to go outside to try and find help. She uses the external view screen to check her surroundings, and she sees that they have landed in some sort of jungle, but something shoots inky fluid onto the lens, obstructing her view. Nevertheless, she ventures outside, taking the audio log with her. She sees a strange stone monument nearby and goes to explore it, taking care to avoid the blast of liquid from the nearby plants. All around her she hears the cry of wild animals, and she eventually has to take a rest due to navigating the dense foliage. The sun comes up, increasing the temperature and forcing her to take off her jacket, which she notices covered in the crusty residue from the inky fluid. She continues to make her way through the jungle, unaware that she is being followed by something. She comes across a set of footprints and is delighted to see that they lead to a spaceship. When no one answers her, she makes her way inside and discovers the cobweb form of the pilot. Meanwhile, the doctor has come to and calls out for Joe. He checks the external readings and is surprised to discover that even though the atmosphere outside is breathable, the TARDIS's emergency air supply has been activated. He tries to open the doors but they struggle to move and an alarm goes off revealing the depletion of the air supply. He tries to use a backup supply but discovers it that is nearly all drained. Back on the spaceship, Joe takes cover when she hears people approaching and she is discovered by a pair of astronauts wearing similar clothing to the pilot. They hold her at gunpoint, but one of them, who seems very confused by her presence, introduces himself as Taran and his colleague Weber before asking where she comes from. They are shocked when she says that she comes from Earth, with Weber saying that it is only a legend in their people's history. She begs him to help save the Doctor, and Taran agrees to help, much to Weber's annoyance. She prepares to take them back to the TARDIS, telling them its location near the ruins, but another astronaut enters, warning them of an enemy patrol nearby. Taran tells Joe to wait in a secret compartment in the ship, whilst they lead the patrol away and go to help the Doctor. However, after they have gone, the spaceship shakes as the door opens slightly, and an invisible figure starts to rummage through the equipment. It then tries to get into the compartment where Joe is, but it leaves after it can't open the door. Back on the TARDIS, the Doctor struggles to breathe as he tries to get the doors open, but he eventually passes out. Outside, Taran and the others hack their way through the crusty residue from the inky liquid, which was causing the obstruction and drag the doctor outside where he slowly recovers and thanks them. He asks for Joe and they tell him she is safe. Weber becomes aggressive when he sees the doctor staring at them, but he apologises, saying that they look familiar. He then realises that they are Thals, the ancient enemies of the Daleks. Weber is sceptical of his claims that he was present during the Dalek War, but Tarn remembers the legend of the doctor and his colleagues in overthrowing the Dalek city. Weber demands to know what he is doing on the planet, but Taran interrupts them after he notices a fungal growth appearing on the Doctor's face. 
he tends to it, saying that it comes from the spores emitted from the residue of the liquid from the plants. Taran says that without quick treatment, anyone that comes in contact with it will be covered in it and eventually die from it. This statement is proven to be true when back on the ship, Joe notices the spread of the fungus on her hand. Weber says that they should leave, but Taran says they need to wait for their colleague, Kotal, to return. The doctor asks for the name of the planet that they're on, and Weber says it is called Spyrodon, saying that it is effectively a death planet due to the hostile plant and wildlife, as well as the native Spyrodons, who are also invisible. The doctor asks why they are there, but Taran says it is for a secret mission which he cannot divulge any information on. Weber angrily calls it a suicide mission, and Taran reminds him that he came voluntarily. He tells the doctor that there were initially seven members of the team, but now there are only three left. The doctor offers the help of himself and Joe, and Taran says he will think about it, as he still does not entirely trust the doctor. Kodal returns and says that there is no sign of the Daleks, and Taran leads them all back to the ship. As they make their way through the jungle, they are forced to stop when they hear a strange metallic sound from up ahead. The doctor asks if it is the Spyrodon, and Taran shakes his head as Kodal hands him and the doctor an aerosol can each. The doctor follows Taran's guidance as he sprays the can at an invisible target, slowly revealing a Dalek. Episode 2 The Doctor and Taran finish revealing the Dalek and discover that it is completely inoperative. The Doctor says that he has never encountered one that could go invisible before, and Kotal tells him that it is a new experiment that they are working on. They have been researching the Spyrodons in an effort to replicate it, but the energy requirement is too great. Kotal wants to examine it, but the Doctor advises against it, saying that it could be rigged with an automatic distress beacon. They continue back to the ship, but Taran calls a halt and takes Kotal with him to scout ahead. Weber voices his annoyance at Taran's caution and reveals that he is the medic of the group, blaming his lack of leadership skills for the deaths of the other members of the group. The doctor asks what he would do and Weber says that they would use their weaponry to destroy the Dalek lab on the planet. The doctor asks if the Spyrodons are working with the Daleks and Weber says that they have most likely been subjugated by them. The doctor turns his attention to a grouping of plants that seem to track his movements and Weber says that they have been useful in alerting him and the others to the presence of the Spyrodons. As they are talking, a tentacle approaches Weber from the undergrowth and attacks him. The doctor rehearses to help him and uses Weber's knife to cut into the tentacle, which quickly retreats to safety. Taran and Kodal return as Weber angrily shrugs away the doctor's advice for the need for continued caution due to their hostile surroundings. Kodal suddenly alerts them to movement from the plants and they hurry to avoid the Spyrodons approaching them. Back on the ship, Joe awakens on the floor, having passed out due to the effects of the fungus. She starts to record her symptoms in the audio log. Once she is finished, she staggers out of the ship in a state of delirium before collapsing to the ground, dropping the audio log as she does so. She hears something in the bushes and retreats into the ship but falls unconscious, allowing the Spyrodon to approach her. Meanwhile, Kodal leads the Spyrodons away from the others so they can get back to the ship, but he is soon caught and knocked out. The others get back to the ship and the doctor spots the audio log on the ground. Before they can get into the ship, they are forced to take cover as a Dalek patrol approaches them. The Daleks report the presence of the Tal ship, and they are ordered to destroy it. The Doctor rushes out to stop them, but they immobilise him and they carry out the destruction of the ship as he watches helplessly. They lead him back to their lab, where he is placed in a cell with Kodal. Kodal wonders why they are being kept alive, and the Doctor says it is most likely for interrogation. He then commends Kodal on his bravery in leading the Spyrodons away, which the Thal sheepishly tries to shrug off. The Doctor reassures him of his bravery, reminding him that it is tougher to have courage despite the presence of fear, and Kodal thanks him for his words. 
The doctor then says the need to escape, and he searches his pockets for something to use and pulls out the audio log. He sadly listens to Joe's voice, believing her now to be dead. However, Joe is at that moment in a hut, covered in furs, as a spiridon pours a mixture on the fungal mass on her arms. She wakes up in fright, but the spiridon tells her not to move so he can treat the infection. He reveals how he took her from the ship and its destruction by the Daleks. Joe is overcome with tiredness and curiosity, and the Spiridon tells her to get rest, promising to reveal everything to her when she wakes again. Back in the Dalek lab, the section commander is informed that the Doctor and Kodal are to be used as test subjects for the invisibility process after their interrogation. He is also informed of the hunt for Taran and Weber, who left the moment after the Doctor was taken away. They have gone to recover their cache of explosives, and Weber again urges him to attack the lab. Taran is reluctant to make a move unless there is a guaranteed chance of success. Weber's aggression gets the better of him, and he aims his blaster at Taran, saying he will kill him unless he gives him the explosives. Their standoff is suddenly interrupted by the arrival of a spaceship, which crash lands nearby and they go to investigate it. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Kodal remember that the guidance systems of the Daleks' machines are operated by high-frequency radio waves. The Doctor says that he can reverse the polarity of the circuitry on the audio log to use as a transmitter to interfere with the radio waves. Back at the Spiridon's hut, Joe wakes up feeling refreshed and sees the infection is completely gone. She thanks the Spiridon and asks him for more information about his planet. He says that the Daleks bombarded the planet with biochemical weapons that wiped out most of the population, allowing them to enslave the survivors. He reveals that they came to learn the secrets of invisibility and are nearing their goal. He then tells her about the presence of the Thals and informs her of the Doctor's capture. Joe says they need to go rescue him, but the Spiridon says there is no way to get him and Kodal out and that they will wish for death after being tortured by the Daleks. Meanwhile, Tarn and Weber approach the crash site and come across a female Tal named Rebecca. She tells him that two others survived the crash, and Weber goes to look for them. Rebecca tells Tarn that they intercepted a message from the planet to the Dalek High Command, stating that the full Dalek force on the planet had been assembled, a force that numbers 10,000. These are no mindless robots, they are Daleks. Their armour is thick and their whisks are sharp. Episode 3. Taran says they need to get away from the crash site before the Daleks come to investigate. Weber returns with the other two Thals, Marit and Letep, and Taran tells them that they need to leave immediately. Meanwhile, Joe and the Spiridon, who is named Wester, are hiding near the Dalek base, which is in the ruins of one of the Spiridon cities. They watch a group of fur-covered creatures push large carts through the entrance, and Wester explains that they are Spiridons, who were the first to protect themselves from the cold. He says that the containers most likely contain vegetation samples to be used to further the Daleks' research in biochemical warfare. Joe says that she needs to get into one of the containers so that she can access the base and rescue the Doctor. Wester says it is too dangerous, but Joe says that she needs to try. She spots one of the carts nearby, and when the Spiridons go to get more vegetation to fill it up, she crawls inside it undetected and covers herself to avoid detection. Inside their cell... Kodal asks if they could use the jamming device on all the Daleks, but the Doctor says it would only work at close range and for a temporary amount of time. Back in the jungle, Taran leads the others to an opening at one of the hills from which a viscous liquid is oozing. He reveals that it is actually a molten form of ice that is periodically released from the planet's core, like a lava from a volcano. He explains that the Spiridons tapped into the ice flows to provide a cooling system for the city, and they can use the connecting tunnels to get into the city undetected. However, he says it is very dangerous and they have no way of knowing how big the tunnels are the further they go on or which is the right one. Weber returns from hiding the rest of their explosives and Taran tells him and Latap to prepare to attack the entrance if they are successful in infiltrating the city and causing a diversion. 
Before they leave, Weber starts to apologise for his earlier actions, but Taran tells him to forget it. Taran and the others make their way through the tunnels and stop when they hear a rumbling sound. Mart suggests it could be an eruption and urges Taran to turn back. Taran says they need to keep going instead as they wouldn't make it back to the surface in time and that they would have to hope that they can find an entrance into the city soon. Inside the base, Adala goes to retrieve the Doctor and Codal for interrogation, but they refuse to follow it. When it enters the cell to force them out, they attack it and manage to successfully attach the jamming device to it, causing it to crash into a wall where it remains motionless. They then leave the cell and make their way through the base. Meanwhile, the cart carrying Joe has been carried inside the base and she climbs out when the section commander is busy and takes cover behind a nearby wall. She then hears the section commander send out an alert that an ice eruption is imminent and orders all the cooling ducts to be sealed. She then overhears an alert come through that the Doctor and Cole have escaped and the section commander orders them to be hunted down and exterminated. In the lower levels of the base, the Doctor and Cole are trying to avoid the Daleks. They try using one of the lifts, but they are only able to travel down in it as the Daleks are sealed off the upper levels. They eventually reach a floor seemingly clear of Daleks and cautiously make their way through the corridors. Meanwhile, Taran and the others are trying to outrun the ice flow caused by an eruption and they enter a side shaft that leads them into the base. Through a mesh grill, Taran spots the Doctor and Cole and calls out to them to help them get him and the others out. Suddenly, a pair of doors start to slide across the grill and the Doctor and Cole try desperately try to keep them open so the others can get in. They are nearly caught by a pair of Daleks but they flee the area, leaving the Daleks to get covered in the molten ice. Seeing the section commander's station abandoned, Joe goes over to it and uses it to listen to the Dalek communications, which state that the Doctor and the others are being herded into a dead end as all other access points are being closed. Down in the lower levels, one of the doors starts to close and the Doctor and the others rush through it. Marit, who is struggling to keep up due to being caught by some of the ice, stays behind to cover their escape and is killed by the Daleks. The Daleks search his body and uncover a map leading to the hidden cache of explosives. The section commander orders the squad to be sent to destroy them and is then told that the door to the next section can't be opened as the doctor sealed it shut after they got through it. On the other side of the door, Rebecca points out that there was no other exit from the room. Taran then calls their attention over to a large piece of machinery in the centre of the room, which the doctor says appears to be a large refrigeration unit. Before he can take a proper look at it, they hear the Daleks outside beginning to cut their way into the room. They look around for another way out and the doctor notices a ventilator shaft above the giant refrigeration unit and says that it most likely leads to the surface. He finds a large sheet of plastic and he gets Codal and Rebecca to start working on it whilst he brings Taran over to the refrigeration unit. He tells them that if they can turn its power output to maximum then the hot air caused by the regulator could create enough hot air to lift the sheet like a rudimentary hot air balloon and carry them all to safety. As they are working on this, Joe overhears a group of Daleks prepared to go out and destroy the Tal's explosives and she decides to follow them. The sheet begins to fill with air and Taran calls the Doctor over to it. As he makes his way over, he spots a hatchway in the wall and opens it where he is greeted by the sight of a cavern filled with Daleks. The others call him over as the Daleks have nearly finished cutting their way into the room. However, their combined weight only allows the sheet to get more than a few inches off the ground and Rebecca cries out in distress that they are not going to make it. Episode 4. The Daleks break in just as the Doctor and the others are lifted into the vent by the sheet. They eventually manage to locate the fleeing Thals, but their weapons are out of range. The section commander orders a squad of Daleks to be sent to the surface to head them off, whilst an anti-gravity disc is to be brought into the room so they can pursue them through the ventilation shaft as well. 
As they near the top of the shaft, Rebecca points out that the plastic is ripping and the doctor tells them to try and grab the ventilation flaps at the sides. The others manage to grab onto them, but the doctor slips and falls back down the shaft before managing to grab onto a flap. He struggles to pull himself up as a Dalek approaches and Cole lowers a length of rope to help him out. He manages to grab onto it and they pull him to safety. Once the doctor is out of the vent, Tarn and Rebecca push a large boulder down the vent, destroying the Dalek and sending it back down the shaft. Their escape forces the section commander to suspend all operations until the escapees are destroyed. He orders that the Spiral slaves be used to help the Dalek forces locate and destroy the escapees. Meanwhile, Joe follows the Daleks to the site of the explosives and watches from some bushes as they rig the bombs to self-detonate, giving them a chance to get clear. After they leave, Joe goes over to the explosives and adjusts the timers on two of them before she is knocked unconscious by a rock falling from above her. She wakes up just in time as the unadjusted timer reaches its detonation time and she takes the other bombs with her as she goes to take cover. At that moment, a Dalek patrol enters the clearing and is destroyed by the detonation of the bomb. Jordan takes the bombs with her and makes her way through the jungle. In the Dalek base, the section commander announces that the Dalek High Command has issued an order that all Daleks and Spiredons on the planet are to be given an immunity booster. He reveals that if the fugitives are not found, then the planet will be virus-bombed and any life form without the immunity will die. Meanwhile, Joe spots the Thals and she joyously reunites with the Doctor, who is equally happy to see her alive. The Doctor takes her aside as she excitedly tells him everything that has happened since they arrived on the planet, and the Thals rest as they wait for them. When they are alone, Taron and Rebecca argue over her presence on the planet as he did not want her going on the mission. Codal, sensing that an awkward conversation is about to take place, offers to go on guard and gives them a chance to talk in private. Taron reveals that he didn't want her on the mission because his love for her will cloud his judgement and his decision making. Meanwhile, the Doctor asks Joe why she went out of the TARDIS when they knew that there were Daleks there, but she reveals that he said nothing about them before passing out after sending his telepathic message. He apologises and she asks what the message was that he sent to the Time Lords. He then reveals the presence of the Dalek army to her and they need to help the Tals destroy it. He then notices Rebecca alone now after Taran left, and he asks Sho to go comfort her. The Doctor goes to speak to Taran, who expresses doubts as to his leadership capabilities because of his personal feelings. The Doctor tells him that his humanity is what makes him different from the Daleks, and how it is a strength, not a weakness. Taran suddenly hears movement, and they see Weber and Latap emerge from the jungle. They reveal that they went to the entrance of the Dalek base, but discovered their bomb was faulty, and so they went back to get the others, only to find them destroyed along with the Dalek patrol. However, Joel reveals the two bombs she saved and hid them in the jungle. Taran suggests that they move on due to the approaching nightfall, and Cole says the nighttime temperatures are below freezing. Weber says that they need to move quickly as there are search parties out looking for them. Taran says that they should go to the Plain of Stones, and Cole explains that the stones absorb the heat from the day and disperse it during the night, but he warns that all the wildlife in the area also goes to seek shelter from the night cold. They move off towards the plains, and the doctor sends Latap to help Joe retrieve the bombs, which are hidden nearby. Latap becomes smitten with Joe as she explains the point of a handshake when he shows confusion towards the gesture. The group makes their way towards the jungle, stopping to avoid the search parties. The doctor notices that the Daleks seem to be moving slower than normal, but he doesn't have time to reflect on it as Taran leads them on towards the plain of stones. Latep is sent on the first watch with the Doctor and Joe, and once they are gone, Weber expresses his displeasure that they are once again hiding. Taron again states his intentions to wait for the best possible chance of success. 
Weber storms off and Tarn asks Kodal about the refrigeration unit in the Dalek base. Kodal says it is most likely something to do with the Dalek's power supply, but if it was destroyed, it would probably take the whole base with it. Weber suggests throwing the remaining bombs down the ventilator shaft, but Tarn says that it will most likely be guarded by now and they must plan their attack carefully. Weber accuses him of cowardice and Tarn charges at him. Weber calls out for Latette to help as Kodal pulls Tarn off of him. Tarn disarms Weber and says that if he doesn't follow his orders, he will kill him. Weber then storms off and the others go to get some rest. Later, Tarn wakes up and discovers that Weber and the remaining bombs are missing. He alerts the others and then Kodal finds a note from Weber saying that he is most likely gone to the ventilator shaft. Tarn asks Kodal to go wish him to find Weber and asks the doctor to remain behind with the others. After they have gone, the doctor tells Latep and Rebecca to keep their weapons handy as he alerts them to the countless glowing eyes watching them from the darkness. Meanwhile, Weber is captured by a Spiridon patrol. Episode 5 Tarn and Kodal arrive and watch as Weber and the bombs are taken away by the Spiridons. They follow after them and manage to pick off a straggler, knocking him unconscious and then Tarn takes its fur cloak. Tarn tells Kodal to follow at a distance but be prepared to help him pick off the next straggler in the group so they can take its cloak as well. However, Kodal is nearly killed when he mistakes an actual Spiridon for Tarn, but he is saved at the last moment as Tarn appears and knocks it out. They then take the Spiridon's fur cloak and follow after the others. Tarn tells Kodal to create a distraction to draw off the Spiridons whilst he goes to retrieve the bombs and free Weber. Back at the Plain of Stones, Rebecca fires warning shots at the creatures to scare them away, but her blaster runs out of energy. Latep says that he only has a small amount of power left, and they watch as the creatures start to move closer to them. The Doctor then takes a burning branch from their fire and waves it back and forth in front of the creatures. It works as again the creatures scurry away from the flames, and he tells the others to pick up a branch each. Latep says there isn't enough wood, and the Doctor replies that they will need to try and keep the fire going until morning. The creatures retreat back into the darkness, giving the Doctor and the others a brief respite. The Doctor then wonders why Weber went off alone, and Rebecca tells him about the plan to blow up the refrigeration unit. The Doctor is shocked when he hears this, and says that the unit is actually a cryostasis unit, and is keeping the Daleks in the cavern in suspended animation. He says they need to go after the others to try and stop them, but they suddenly see a Spiridon enter their camp. The Doctor prepares to defend the others from it, but Joe recognises him as Wester when he calls out her name. The Doctor thanks him for saving Joe, and Wester then reveals the Daleks' plan to virus bomb the planet. He offers to go back to the base to try and stop the bomb, and the Doctor says that he will do what he can to help, and tell the others to prepare to move out at dawn. However, he confides to Joe that even though he knows they need to stop the Daleks, he doesn't know how. In the jungle, Weber is presented to a Dalek patrol, but he refuses to answer their questions. They threaten to kill him, and he reluctantly agrees to lead them back to the Plain of Stones. However, he makes a break to escape and he is killed by one of the Daleks. In the confusion, Tarn takes the bombs from the Spiridon holding them and Kodal leads the others and the Daleks off in a chase into the jungle. The two Tals make it back to the Plain of Stones and as the Daleks pursuing them were recalled due back to the base to be immunised before the impending use of the bacteria agent. They inform the others about Weber's death and the Doctor says it is time to go on the offensive. He says they need to get into the city and sends Latep to locate a Dalek patrol and lead them back to the others so they can be all captured. Joe goes with him as she says that she is tired of being hunted and the Doctor reluctantly agrees. The Doctor then leads Taran to a nearby ice pool and explains that the Daleks cannot function in low temperatures. Taran catches on to the Doctor's plan and the two go off to find a way to make it work. 
Meanwhile, in the Dalek base, all the Spiridons have been brought in for immunization, and the section commander is told that one Dalek patrol remains in the jungle, as it has spotted Joe and Natap and is pursuing them. The section commander allows them to continue the pursuit, with orders that no prisoners are to be taken. The duo successfully lead the Dalek patrol back to the others, and the Doctor leads one of the Daleks towards the ice pool, where Taran is lying in wait. The two of them ambush the Dalek, and after much struggling, manage to push it into the ice pool. A few moments later, the others manage to push the remaining Dalek in as well. Taran and Latap make sure the creatures inside the shells are dead, and the Doctor tells them to get rid of them so they can bring the shell back out of the pool. The loss of the signal with the patrol is reported to the section commander, who says that they will be prepared to release the bacteria immediately. He then goes into the lab to oversee the immunization process and to do final checks on the bacteria. Wester appears and is allowed into the lab as he says he has tricked the Thals into a trap and needs to report to the section commander immediately. Once inside, he overhears a Dalek telling the section commander he needs to make some repairs to the immunization machine. Outside the base, the doctor goes over the plan with Joe, Latep and Rebecca, who is piloting one of the Daleks. Joe and Latep are to try and get into the refrigeration room via the ventilator shaft, and once there, use one of the bombs to block off the entrance so it can stop the Daleks getting in. He, Codal, and Taran, all of whom are dressed as Spyrodons, will go with Rebecca into the base and try to do the same. They make their way to the lower levels and come across the lab, where they see the section commander and another Dalek finishing their work on the immunization machine. They see Wester rush to the case holding the bacteria, and he opens it, allowing it to fill the room. He collapses to the ground, choking violently as an alarm goes off. The section commander orders that the doors not be opened unless the entire base become infected, and then despairs at the fact that he and the other Dalek can never leave the room. As Wester dies, his body becomes visible, revealing a grey-skinned humanoid with ridged crests on his forehead and a smile on his face. The doctor tells the others that they need to move on, but they are stopped by a guard who tells them to join the other Sparadons. However, as they move off, the guard spots Codal's boot beneath his fur cloak and sounds an alarm. Episode 6 The doctor shows his cloak over the guard to obscure its vision, and then he and the others rush down the corridors pursued by more guards. An alert is sent through the base, and all the upper levels are sealed off to trap them. A group of Daleks come across Rebecca's shell and destroy it, but discover that it is empty, as the others got her out of it only moments before. The doctor and the others get into an elevator and make their way down the, to the refrigeration room, and he tells Codal to set up a barricade to slow the Daleks down. Unbeknownst to them, the doctor has been identified, and an order goes out for his capture so that he can be presented to the Dalek Supreme, who is currently en route to the planet. The doctor realises that there is no way of locking the controls of the unit so that it remains permanently on. Taran says the main control room may have the capability, but they can risk going there. The doctor decides to use a backup plan and asks Codal to follow him. As they make their way through the cavern, Rebecca says that the Daleks have begun trying to get through their makeshift barricade. Meanwhile, the arrival of the Dalek Supreme ship is noticed by Joe and Latep, who watch from hiding as the golden black Dalek disembarks with his bodyguards. Joe then notices the ship is unattended, and she suggests that Latep and the others can use it to get back to Scarrow. Latepa says he is glad that the others aren't around, as the idea of being able to survive their mission may now affect their decision-making. He also makes an inference that his judgment is already being impaired due to an attraction to Joe, which he says they need to get back to the task at hand. The Dalek Supreme arrives at the base and is given an update on the attempts to capture the Doctor and the others. He is told that the invisibility experiments have paid off and they are now able to maintain their invisibility fields for a satisfactory amount of time. The Dalek Supreme orders the refrigeration unit to be switched off so the army in the cavern can start to wake up. 
He then confronts the section commander's second-in-command and berates him for the disruptions the Doctor of the Tals have caused. The second-in-command tries to make excuses for his failures, but he is killed by the Dalek Supreme. Back in the refrigeration room, Taran alerts the Doctor to the rising temperature. The Doctor and Cole carry on their task, which is examining one of the cavern walls, and Cole says that he may have found what they are looking for. He then points out that several of the Daleks in the cavern have started to wake up, and the duo hurry to clear out a hole in the wall. Taran and Rebecca join them, saying the Daleks are nearly through the barricade, and that there is still no sign of Joe or Latap. The Doctor sends them to look for another way out of the cavern, whilst they prepare the bomb to be placed into the wall. Suddenly, one of the awakening Daleks knocks the bomb off the platform into the midst of several other Daleks. The Doctor carefully makes his way down to retrieve it, but when he returns with it, Codal says the timing mechanism was damaged in the fall. Cole tries to repair it as Taran and Rebecca return, saying that they have found a way to the surface. The Doctor then reveals his plan to use the bomb to weaken the wall of the cavern and allow the molten ice from within the mountain to flow into the cavern and flood it, stopping the Daleks inside from being used. Meanwhile, Joe and Latep arrive in the refrigeration room after climbing down the ventilation shaft and encounter a group of Daleks as they break through the barricade. Latep uses his bomb to blow them up and they go to join the others as another group of Daleks begins to approach. Codal manages to fix the timer on the bomb as Joe and Latep join them, informing the others about the approaching Daleks. The Doctor sends the others ahead whilst he and Codal set off the timer on the bomb and place it into the cave wall. They flee just as the Daleks enter the cavern and wait for the bomb to go off. It explodes, stopping the Daleks from pursuing them, but nothing else happens. Realising that they have failed, the Doctor urges the others to leave before the awakening Daleks come after them. Suddenly, the cave wall bursts open as molten ice begins to flood the cavern. The ice flood also damages the base's power source and the Daleks are unable to seal off the upper levels as the ice continues to rise up through the base. The Dalek Supreme then orders the base to be evacuated. At the Dalek ship, Latep takes Joe aside to speak to her whilst the others say their goodbyes to the Doctor. Codal thanks him for what he has done for him and then goes back to check on the flight system of the ship. The Doctor then asks Taran and Rebecca that when they go back to Scarrow, that they do not glamorise their deeds so that the Thal remain a peaceful people, a request that the duo eagerly agree to. Latep approaches the Doctor and says that he has asked Joe to return to Scarrow with him, and the Doctor asks Joe if she wants to go. Joe tells Latep that she will go back to Earth and gives him a friendly kiss goodbye. The Thals then leave in the ship, and the Doctor and Joe watch them leave, but they are suddenly attacked by the Dalek Supreme and his bodyguards. They rush back to the TARDIS, being careful to avoid the plants shooting the inky liquid. They make their way inside safely and dematerialize, leaving the Daleks to plan to overcome their setback. On the TARDIS, Joe asks that they go back to Earth, and the Doctor cheerfully agrees. End of the story. So now that the cliffhanger has been successfully resolved, we're going to celebrate at the trivia spot. So what have you got for us this week? Cool. So Planet of the Daleks aired from the 7th of April to the 12th of May, 1973. The writer for the story is Terry Nation. So this is story 7 of 11 for Terry. He previously wrote The Daleks, The Keys of Marinus, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, The Chase, Mission to the Unknown, and The Daleks Master Plan. When you think about it, the Daleks master plan, that was yeah. still William Hartnell. And only now is Terry coming back for so, another Dalek story. So it's actually, it's been yeah, a while since he's been around. The master plan was 60, 
64? No, no, 60, 65. Sorry, 65. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, that's that's. It, it's, it's been, been a while. Eight years. Yeah. yeah. Of course, of course, it was. It's London, nineteen sixty-five. So of course, it's nineteen sixty-five. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will discuss his work again in Death of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, The Android Invasion, and Destiny of the Daleks. The director of the story is David Maloney. This is story five with directing contributions from David. His previous contributions were The Mind Robber, The Crotons, The War Games, and Frontier in Space. He'll go on to direct four more stories, Genesis of the Daleks, Planet of Evil, The Deadly Assassin, and The Talons of Wen Chiang. And I must say that looking at this story and then looking at Genesis and Planet, you're like, oh yeah, that, that's totally different. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's very if weird. you took those two stories and like squished them together, yeah. you basically get this one. Pretty much. <laughs> and not just because the titles mished together yeah. that way. So this story had the working title of Destination Daleks, which just sounds like some weird travel program. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, It is both, and we we discussed this a little bit last week, and you were trying to sort of, you weren't saying I was wrong, but you were like, oh, oh yeah, I suppose, and you messaged in the week, but yeah, no, 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 you're right. It's both a direct continuation of last week's Frontier in Space, and it's a direct sequel. To the Daleks. Yes, I got my timelines confuzzled. <laughs> yeah. Um, interestingly, so it's been a long time, like we said, since Terry Nation has written a story for Doctor Who. And when he was writing stories, each episode had its own title. Yeah, that, that's one of the big, that's a huge callback to when he was yeah. still writing. So he actually gave each of these episodes a title because that's what he was used to doing. <laughs> So he titled them Destinus, which was originally what the planet was meant to be called, Mission Survival, Pursued, Escape or Die, The Day Before Eternity, and Victory. I kind of like some of those. Some of those, uh, yeah. Some like to, to be fair, like it, it's not they're not bad single episode titles. No. So you may have noticed we had a lot of Daleks in the story, more than three. Which is the usual limit, because there's only three... At this point in time, there's only three Dalek props from the 60s still left. And what they saw in this one, though, was that they wanted to have more Daleks. Yeah. And so they created seven Daleks from wood that didn't move. So if you notice at any point in time, with the exception of the gold one that I'll get to in a second, at any point in time, you only see three Daleks like fully moving on screen, like the head and the arms and the body moving. The others are static. They don't move. <laughs> Which makes the setup of shots very interesting because you're like, oh, you have to film this one and then like before you cut to that view, you have to stop and probably swap them out so that that one can move and that one is static. It's really mental when you think about it in that, in that way. Uh, before you go on, I, I had a really like mean thought in my mm. head. And I was like, okay, so it's been, we said nearly eight years since Terry Nation wrote for Doctor mm. Who. And his last story was the Dax Master Plan. The last episode that he wrote 
was episode seven. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> so, so like I kind of I was just having this picture of like the BBC execs with like that that crusty the clown face going like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> and they were just like, "No, Terry, no more for eight yeah, one years." One thing I found is that like we've mentioned before that you and I are part of this really good Facebook group. Um, yeah, for Doctor Who fans, and some people really liked that episode. <laughs> I'm like, they, really? They like, and it's like, like, I was going, to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, you know, harsh on that at all. It's just like, no, no. Yeah. So we have seven wooden Daleks in this story. Hmm. We also have the gold Dalek. So the Supreme Dalek is gold. And that's actually one of Terry Nation's Daleks. And when I say one of Terry oh. Nation's Daleks, I mean, he owns it. Um, After the Dalek movies that Terry did he mm-hmm. had four Dalek props that are his <laughs> so he gave them one of them <laughs> they, they redressed it a little bit like redid the color job and stuff like that but that supreme Dalek you know it has different lights on its head the eye stalk is more of a torch than the little blue thing that's actually one of Terry's Daleks from the movies <laughs> And then, of course, we have the other Daleks, which are the Daleks in stasis that we sort of see in the movie. Those are like little figurines. They're like little toys. They're just sort of whizzy around the place, which is quite funny when you look at it because you can kind of imagine those are the toys that they sold at the time and they just got a rake of them and just pop them in the <laughs> sea. You can just imagine like, well, like the prop guy's got to go away, you know, with like, like the pull back and go ones. Just wee, wee. <laughs> So episode five was originally meant to end with all of the Thals being massacred by the Daleks. Ooh. And Terrence Dix asked Terry to change it because apparently at this time the show was already being criticised for being too violent. Which if you think about it, like while yes, the Dalek stories of old always had people dying in them. Mm. If you think about from during John's run, where we see things yeah. in color, I think the change over to color has a big impact on how we see violence on TV. Yeah, no, it, it does. But like with unit it... and everything, there's a lot more violence in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, or at least there is the appearance of more violence, even if in the script there actually isn't. Well, I suppose if you think about like, you know, John's era starts with a huge bang in her, with the spirit from space and the autons marching down the street and like killing people. Yeah. yeah it's like they're they already getting a little bit of flack. So Terrence is like, no, please don't kill all of them. Love God. Is this from, is this from, I wonder, cause I know that her real kind of claim to fame is during the Tom Baker era, mm. but is this like fucking Mary Whitehouse's maybe, thing or maybe like, I know she had major issues with like, um, during Philip Hinchcliffe's run. Um, but to yeah. be honest, I'd, I'd say this probably, but to be honest, it probably wasn't even that. Like, I mean, like I said, the, when you change over to color, mm. how we perceive violence is very different. Actually, speaking for I can't take her seriously because of a two Ronnie sketch that <laughs> dealt with mispronunciation, and he called her Mrs. Harry Whitehouse. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like every time like that comes up, I'm just like, oh yes, Mrs. Harry Whitehouse. <laughs> so. Going back, double backing a second to the Daleks, um, because Terry Nation didn't know how many Dalek casings they were actually going to have, and the casings being the things that the actual people could go into, 
um, he had to sort of limit the number of times they were used in the script. Like he said, like each scene can only have three moving. So originally, mm-hmm. Codal and Rebecca were meant to masquerade as Daleks. If you think of it, they threw two Daleks into the ice yeah. pond thing. But only Rebecca goes into it when they go into the base. Uh, that's because mm. for the scenes, they only had one spare <laughs> that she could get into. <laughs> which is so mental. <laughs> like, seriously, oh. kudos to the guys who are like, A, being able to film it and be able to make a you know a workable story around these limitations. Um mm. there is a belief among some people that the jungle fighting that was going on was kind of a nod and commentary on the war in Vietnam. But Terry Terrence Dix and Barry have both kind of said that if that was true, it probably wasn't intentional on Terry Nation's part. He certainly never discussed it with them. He wasn't, you know, that type to include it that way. So they said that if that is true, it probably he probably didn't mean to do it. Do you know? I looking at it, I don't see. I do, I don't see this specifically Vietnam. I can see it as any war taking place within the confines of, you know, jungleized Asia. Yeah. Like, you know, in terms of the Korean War, World War Two, or anything like that. Uh, I didn't get that vibe from it. Yeah, I think a lot like of people, though, see jungle warfare, and they think either yeah. World War Two, Japan, that side yeah. of it, or Vietnam. That seems to be the two things that people mm. naturally gravitate towards. Yeah. I, I suppose, yeah, just given the, the time that it was aired, yeah, like, maybe. Mm. So... Barry had a couple of things he didn't really like about this story. He didn't like the <laughs> the model Dalek army thing. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, which I think it actually works really well. I, I, I look. I think it's a fantastic visual because it, it like the, they're far away they, and small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like when you first see them, they're perfectly still, so it actually doesn't really do anything. Um, and like when they start moving around, like. I actually think it adds to the whole thing of like they're only coming out of cryostasis. Mm. And if you think about it, the one thing that's been always like, I suppose, misunderstood about the Daleks is that they are sentient creatures inside a shell. So the creatures themselves are just waking up. So, of course, they're cold. (laughs) Yeah, they're cold and they're like, uh, what is it? They're out of it as fuck. So their movements, Mm. I think, are actually really really well well done yeah he also apparently didn't like the sets that were used for the interior of the city which again i didn't have any major issue with um though he he did say that like obviously (laughs) there wasn't enough money in the budget to do both an amazing city and the amazing jungle and the jungle was fantastic oh the jungle was so good again there's gonna be like it really reminded me of a story that we're gonna get to uh, in Tom Baker's run, that is also helmed by <laughs> by David Maloney. Doctor Doc, Doctor Who has like, has like turned me off jungles for life. Because like, if you think about, it, you had the chase, uh, which the plant that the mechanoids mm. are on. Then you had Mission to the Unknown, mm. just which itself is just. <laughs> and then I suppose yeah, if you do, there's like the f- Kemble, the first couple of episodes of Dalek's Master Plan. Mm. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, you also have like you in know. the first Dalek story. Oh, the Petrified Jungle, jungle yeah. as well. And there's also in Keys of Marinus. 
Yeah, oh Christ, that's an awful lot of jokes. Yeah, no, no like it. So according to the info text that you can see on the DVDs, um, at one point they wanted all of the on-screen actors, including the guys inside the Daleks, mm-hmm. to wear makeup. Um, because it was kind of thought that you might be able to see the actor through like the mesh that they see out of from the Dalek. Mm-hmm. The operators didn't like this. So one day they dressed up their Daleks as women. And Michael Risher and Roy Skelton, who do the voices, they provided suitably camp voices for the Daleks. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Which, in fairness, I can kind of understand where the guys are coming from. At the same time, I would also yeah. understand where the production is coming from. Yeah, because like... I, think, I don't think it's an unreasonable request. <laughs> I think at one point, I think it's when Rebecca is in the... Um, mm. That you can see through the mesh. For Rebecca, it makes sense, though. Because yeah. her head would be in line with the mesh. Whereas an actual yeah. Dalek is actually positioned below it. Below below the mesh, yeah. Um, but yeah. So... <laughs> Every time, though, like I've said, Rebecca, all I could think of is uh, the Prince of Orange's fucking... General from Sharp's Waterloo. <laughs> Rebecca! <laughs> so, a little bit on naming for some of our characters. So, Latap was originally meant to be called. Now, I read this as Petal. I'm assuming it was meant yeah. to be Petal or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was changed because in Frontier in Space, we had a character called Patel. Yeah. And so they're like, that makes no sense. So, they just did Petal backwards. And got Latap instead. <laughs> Which, I, I am curious, were they planning on calling him Petal? Possibly. He could have could have. Rick Ackham or Petal? He could have had the Tal equivalent to like Johnny Cash's dad, you know, a boy named Sue. A boy named Petal. <laughs> and the character of Rebecca, who, other than Joe, is the only female character we see in these six episodes. Mm-hmm. She was added at the instance, apparently, of Barry and Terrence who wanted more variety on screen. They wanted someone that the female audience could connect with. And she was named after Terry Nation's daughter, Rebecca. I think that's a very sweet thing. It, it is a very sweet thing. But then when you just hear, like, you're like, oh, the name is Rebecca. I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, lads. Like, did you just run out of, like, really fancy sounding alien names? Or, like, <laughs> can you read up? There was no more ingredients you could read off the back of a fucking tin or something. <laughs> Okay, let's get into our cast proper, shall we? So, as Taryn, we have Bernard Horsfall. Horsfall? H-O-R-S-F-O-L-L. Is it actually Horsfall? That... I think it's Horsfall, okay. yeah. Uh, this is his third appearance in Doctor Who. We previously saw him in The Mind Rubber, where he was Gulliver. Then mm-hmm. he was in The War Games as a Time Lord. Oh, Not just any Time Lord. The Time Lord that actually passes the sentence. <laughs> and we'll see him again in The Deadly Assassin. His non-hit credits include The Avengers, Ivanhoe, Jack and Ori, The Jewel in the Crown, Casualty, and Braveheart. Bernard passed away in 2013. You're thinking, who is he in Braveheart now, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to go on to Weber while you look that up. Do you do that? So Weber is played by Prentice Hancock. So this is the second of four Doctor Who appearances for Prentice. We previously saw him in Spearhead from Space. And we'll see him again in Planet of Evil where he essentially plays the same character, and the ribose operation. 
His non-Who credits include Outlander, Kappa 2, Chucky's Challenge, Chucky's Children, Space 1999, Life and Death of Penelope, and Spy Trap. Who was Bernard Hosfall in Braveheart? He is in a scene in after it's after the first battle. He's one of the nobles that petitions William Wallace to um, back a claim. Okay. Yeah. Next, as Codal, we have Tim Priest. This is Tim's only on-screen Doctor Who appearance, though he was also in a Doctor Who audio story called "He Jests at Scars." His non-Who credits include The Ghostwriter, Ivanhoe, Porterhouse Blue, Vanity Fair, The Bill, The Legacy of Reginald Perrin, and The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin. Latap is played by Alan Tucker. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit. His non-Who credits include The Wars of the Roses, Macbeth, Softly Softly, Zed Cars, UFO, and I, Claudius. Alan passed away in 2016. As Rebecca, we have Jane Howe. This is, again, the only Doctor Who acting credit for Jane. Our non-Who work includes General Hospital, Lovejoy, Heartbeat, Agatha Christie's Poirot, Miss Potter, Cruella, and His Dark Materials. The voice of Wester is provided by Roy Skelton. This is his X story that I clearly didn't count. <laughs> it's his numer- One, numerous, two, three, numerous story. Four, five, six, seven. This is his eighth story. There we go. Um, his other stories were The Ark, where he did the voice of the Manoids, The Tenth Planet, The Evil of the Daleks, The Ice Warriors, The Wheel in Space, The Crotons, and Colony in Space. He also has credits in The Green Death, Genesis of the Daleks, The Android Invasion, The Hand of Fear, Destiny of the Daleks, The Five Doctors, Revelation of the Daleks, Remembrance of the Daleks, and The Curse of the Fatal Death. A lot of these are Dalek voices, or Cyberman voices. Yeah, I think it was his first a physical appearance is colony yeah. that that is yeah. he only has one two he only has like three oh no he has four he's got four named characters that aren't just voices but i think <laughs> in hand of fear he's king rokon i don't know if that's actually him or if again it's a voice for somebody else no i, I think because that's a physical presence but i don't know if it's him in the get up we shall mm. see Roy passed away in 2011. Cool. So on to our character discussion, the meat and bones mm-hmm. of the podcast as twer. So we have the yes. doctor. Then we have... Okay, so for companions, I'm going to see if you're on the same boat with me on this. So for companions, I did Joe, Taron, Weber, and Codal because those are the three that are pretty much there from the start. I did not include Weber as a companion. I have him down as a prominent character. Okay. So then in prominent characters, you have Weber. Um, and then there's Latep, Rebecca, and Wester. Yep. With the only villains being the Daleks. Yes, exactly. Okay, it'll be interesting when we get to Weber, so. But first we have the Doctor. Mm-hmm. The man himself. Paddington, thoughts, please. So, a very strong showing from the Doctor here, I thought. Mm. Um, and in quite possibly some of my favourite John Pertwee moments from the entire run so far. Mm. Um, yeah, um I'll get to it as we go around, you know, I suppose, throughout the yeah. whole thing. But, like, this is such a 
great performance by him. Mm. Re- really, really is. Like, and it's a, definitely a contender for um, rambling in terms of the top performances. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, like his heart to hearts with Codel mm. in the jail cell with Taron both times in terms of like talking about it's okay to realize that you're only human when you're coming to make these decisions mm. or you're only Thal. <laughs> uh, did, and you, also, did you on occasion refer to Thals as humans in this? I no, I said, I said humanity. I said No, but they do in the story, they do sometimes use human, meaning oh. humanoid. Yeah. yeah. They do sometimes use the word human. Go on, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Uh, no, no, because like, I was just like, well, like you know, it's humanity. Like, I can't really say there's Scaronianness. Because <laughs> <'Cause, laughs> it's either you're a scumbag or you're okay. Um, but yeah, like, no, that. And also at the very end, his, like, you know, don't make a glory out of this mission. You know, mm. it was something that you had to do, but don't make it something that it's going to be like a recruitment poster as such, you know? That's a total Barry speech at the end. Oh, it's, incre- it's incredibly Barry, you know? And it's like, there's an awful like there's a nice lot of throwbacks to like his previous incarnations with that kind of stuff like mm. because you can see Troughton having that type of conversation with Codal. yeah or you can see uh, Hartnell having that conversation at the end with Taron and Rebek mm. um, so like again, I, that's I made a comment earlier on on the Facebook page because someone asked like oh who do you think best embodies Hartnell's doctor in the later generations, you know, mm. or later. And I just said, I don't think any one of them does it. I think no. everyone takes on the traits of the previous incarnations. So all of them have an element of Hartnell in them. Yeah. Some more so than others uh, or some, some are stronger than others, but everyone has like that, those moments that kind of come back from a, a good example of John's is uh, Azal, you know, I don't want it. I don't want this power. Mm. You can see Hartnell having something like that. Jumping the timeline massively, I think the one that I have seen the most of mm-hmm. that rings the biggest, like, this is the same character as yeah. William Hartnell's Doctor is Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. Yes. A lot, a lot of people have said that also. A lot of people say Peter Capaldi. Mm. But back to John, uh, you know, you see that nice true line of um, just the, the other versions of him being the same character. Mm. Um, his reunion with Joe, I think, is very sweet because you can see, like, we've talked about their growing relationship. Yeah. And how it's no longer like he'll make the smart ass comment or anything like that now. Mm. Um, like, so we actually see how much she actually means to him. Like, you know, listening to the recorder and it was just a very nice reunion, I thought. Um, and one thing that I did love, and I have to really commend uh, Terry uh, about this, is that there's no direct confrontation between the Doctor and the Dalek Supreme or anything no. like that. Because, like, it's it, it gives the Doctor a chance to leave his ego at the door because we know that the Doctor can be egotistical, especially when facing mm. down the big bad. Here, I like the fact that there's no direct confrontation. Because he understands the scope of what's happening. 10,000 fucking Daleks. And they, they continually say like, this is the largest Dalek war force ever assembled. Mm. And which makes you kind of wonder, like, what was the size of the force in the Daleks master plan? But see, <laughs> I think the Daleks master plan comes after this. So this is the thing that we don't get. So we know that this takes place hundreds of years after the Daleks. Yeah. And... 
it takes place in the Doctor's personal timeline immediately after Frontier in Space. Yeah. But we have no idea where does the chase fit in, where does Dalek's Master Plan fit in, where does Eve of the Dalek... We have no idea where the others fit in, in Mm. the Dalek's timeline. Yeah. Because given the fact that they described this as a direct sequel to the previous one, I would see this, or to the Daleks, I would see this as being, this is the Daleks preparing to go beyond their... Mm current like beyond scarrow beyond the surrounding systems that's the way i saw it so i would consider this to be probably before you see it's the all because stuff because again like it comes into like you know when do they develop time travel because mm. like I, I can't i can't remember now but i the invasion force that goes to earth i actually can't remember if that was one that had been was allowed because they had mastered time travel or was it something else I, see, that's where it gets a bit yeah it gets a bit a bit confusing wibbly wobbly timey wimey yeah but um no like i i love the fact there's no direct confrontation yeah and it's just dismantling the war machine not having a go at like the like ah the head honcho type thing um which i don't think like which i'm trying to remember the last dalek story where there is no direct confrontation between the doctor and the daleks i don't think there's there i don't think there's been one where he hasn't actually like had a speech against them Day of the Daleks? Did you have a speech against them there? I don't think Actually, so. I don't think... I can't remember. Because he was dealing with the human counterpart. Yeah, he was dealing with the the controller. Mm. Maybe, yeah. But uh, but either way, it's just a, it's a nice refreshing change of pace, I think. I think it's good to avoid having the Doctor in that situation as well, because it's very awkward to write him out of it. Yeah. So you're kind of writing yourself into a hole. Do you know, whereas here, you don't have to go up with some over-the-top way for him to get out of the situation because he never put him in it in the first place. Yeah. Which I think is something that Terry is actually very good at. In the stories he's done, he never writes people into a situation that he can't get them back out of. That is true. In yeah. a way that makes sense and doesn't sort of take you out of out of the story. I think maybe the only time was like when in da- in Invasion of Earth when like Ian like plummets down the fucking chute and doesn't break his legs oh, yeah. somehow. <laughs> All those years playing basketball, is it? <laughs> uh, but no, I have to say like this is definitely one of the str- one of the strongest performances from this version of the Doctor. Yeah, I'd agree. I think this is a great story for John all round. Um, and what I like about it is that the strength of the performance here, yes, it's John and John deserves a lot of credit, but it's not John alone. I think what makes the Doctor great in the story is his interactions with everybody else. Definitely. So definitely. like you said, you mentioned how he worked with um, Kodal, how he worked with Taryn, even Weber. Like, he did try to bring Weber along. He wasn't mm. writing him off. He was having sometimes genuine conversations with him that weren't patronizing or anything yeah. like that. Do you know, like he was trying to hear from Weber's point of view. Uh, and we'll get to Weber in a bit, but like I love that. I, I would have liked to have seen him interact more with Rebecca mm-hmm. and stand up for her. Because I'll get to her in a minute. Like Yeah. Whatever. Um but at least they did show that he was aware of the issue by having him direct Joe to talk to her. Yeah. Do you know that he's like, I'm probably not the best suited to talk to her in this situation. 
mm-hmm. Joe, you talk to her. And if we're talking about like a Bechtel test thing, it's kind of annoying that we don't actually ever hear Joe and Rebecca talking to each other. Yeah. Ever. They don't, like, we don't have a single conversation of just the two of them. But given that the one conversation that we know they had was about Taryn, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that we, that it wasn't yeah. like they had one conversation where they talked about a guy, you know, yeah. kind of glad to that. The one thing that I thought was a bit interesting is when the Daleks destroyed the ship, and he thought mm-hmm. Joe was dead. You can see this utter devastation on his mm-hmm. face. And when he plays back the tape, I would have loved to have more of him listening to the tape. Mm-hmm. Because Joe commented on a lot. And he doesn't get to hear all of it because he dismantles the fucking thing after like yeah. the first two sentences. Um, but he does... How about... He does get over her quote-unquote death quite quickly. Either that or he's incredibly good at compartmentalizing. I would say the compartmentalization. Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to come across as. But like, if you were only watching this story and you hadn't seen their relationship develop, you kind of go, hey, like, could it reminds me a bit of Liz has been kidnapped. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to do my job well this is the thing like, you know, like he, he at least knew or like he assumed he knew that Joe was dead so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, also because it's the 70s I'm not sure if they had ever thought of like, you know, like um, I'm pretty sure like there was a tape in that recorder and he just took the fucking tape out and it was like I listened to it on the TARDIS I don't think so but because it pops open like a fucking Walkman yeah but there's no tape inside. There's mechanics inside. True, yeah. And he reversed the polarity, which I'm guessing <laughs> wipes the fucking memory. <laughs> um, I'm actually, yeah. actually, I'm actually a bit miffed about it because Joe did so. And we're going to talk about Joe. So she did yeah. so good at sort of cataloging everything. It's like this little sort mm. of captain's log that she kind of had for herself. Yeah. That's very sweet. Do you know mm. and? Because I, I was waiting to hear his... Because the last thing she says into it is that her arm is going numb. Hmm. And I was waiting for him to find it and to be like, what the hell, her arm's going numb, and for the others to tell him what happens with this fungus. Yeah. But then the Daleks destroyed the ship. I was like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting <laughs> him to think that had happened. <laughs> um, I thought he was going to think, like, oh, no, she's she's died because of a fungus or something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's... Also, if he had listened to the entire tape, he maybe would have known why she left the ship. True. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you leave the ship? Well, I wrote it on that tape that you told me. I said it into that tape you told me to release. But that grew as a dramatic reunion. (laughs) (laughs) So, speaking of the lady herself, will we move over? Yeah. I am really loving Joe at the moment. This is her season. This it, really is her season. It really is. Your Joe has really and we've talked about it ad nauseum, but like she has really gone from strength to strength. And I do think, you know, you've talked about before how one of the things that you really like about Classic Who when it's done well. It's why, you know, the 
Barbara and Ian period works so well is that the companion can fuck off and have their own story that dovetails into the overall plot. Outside of the outside of the stories from the classic era, it is my favorite aspect of the entire thing that the that the character and I again I mm. had a conversation there recently enough where someone said that oh modern who or the revival era fixed the whole thing with companions like it gave them like more agency yeah gave more agency they weren't just asking questions and I'm like well to be fair a lot of companions in the classic era had that agency and yeah. were able to carry the story on by themselves yeah I think this is a I think for Joe's run, hmm. I think this more so than any of the ones we've had before for Joe is probably because they don't reunite until the end of episode four or halfway through episode four. Uh, let me just see there. I think it might be halfway through episode four. Yeah. So like, and they separate at the beginning of episode one. <laughs> Do you know? Uh, no, sorry. It's um, halfway through episode three that they reunite. Yeah. yeah, halfway through episode three. But like, she has this adventure on her own, builds dynamics and relationships on her own, has amazing feats of bravery hmm. on her own, and intelligence, and like gets to show all of her skills. And it dovetails really nicely back into the overall plot. Yeah, like this is, this is almost her crusade yeah yeah and what i really like about it as well is that like because watching it first i was like she went to all this effort to get into the base to rescue the doctor and then she just leaves Hmm. (laughs) without even seeing him like what the hell but no she's listening to what's happening on the radio she knows that he's at liberty in the base and then she hears them talking about the bombs and she's like he's fine he'll do his bit I'm going to solve the bomb problem. Mm-hmm. And I like that it actually shows a greater intelligence that she left rather than running around trying to find him when he's already at liberty. So yeah. I think that was done really, really well. Um, Hugely. like It's a case of like anything that makes the Daleks worry is an asset to them. Yeah. So go save the asset and trust in the Doctor's own capabilities. Yeah. I'm really glad she said no to Latap. I'll get to their relationship more when we talk about him. Um, because uh, let's just say uh, Peladon of Peladons, he was not, right? So <laughs> we'll get to that when we talk about Latap. Um, though I do like that even her saying no doesn't take away the compassion that Joe has. No. She, do does, it in a, she does it in a very nice way. She does it in a very nice way and you can tell that it makes her sad. Do you know, like Joe is someone who has such great compassion that even if the idea of running off with a guy that she literally met yesterday yeah. and has had maybe three conversations with, even if that just sounds bonkers in her mind, do you know, hmm. she still felt sad because she's someone who develops emotional connections with people. That's the way she is as a person. Yeah. And, you know, she hurt him in a way and there's a little bit of sorrow there that i'm kind of glad they addressed it do you know i'm glad that you had the doctor trying to make her feel better yeah you know no, like hugely like and it's like she could have been like she could have been very mean about it she could have been shitty about it but no it was this whole thing of like 
I, I hate to say no, but it, it's got to be no. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, I don't know if Terry did it intentionally. It is a bit of a throwback to the Daleks. Yeah. Where obviously Barbara and the guy she'd later name her son after. Um, what? Wasn't it Aladon? It is Aladon, yes. Yeah. Where Barbara and Aladon have something similar. Um, yeah. Though I I would say Barbara and Aladon was built up a bit more. Yeah, and there's a bit more reciprocation there, I think. Yeah. Uh, again, we'll get to it with laptop, but whatever. Um, but I like how they didn't just fob it off. They gave that moment time to rest. Mm-hmm. And they gave the doctor time to support her. Yeah. Because, again, similar to Peladon, he didn't make the choice for her. No. She was given the same choice in Peladon. And, again, he let her to make that choice for herself and then comforted her after the fact. Yeah. Which I love. I just thought it was great. <laughs> um, I don't think I've got like a whole lot more to add to that. Like I just to say, like this is really this is like her season. She's just been phenomenal for mm. the last number of stories. Uh, I love the analytical side. Like just like when she goes out with the microphone, everything is it's so professional. Yeah. The way she starts recording everything. It's not just like whatever random shit comes to her head. Like everything is with a purpose. Um, Which I would have been afraid they would have done had this been in her first season. Yeah, probably. Yeah. There's some stuff over there. There's a, but no, it's like, it's just like after getting out of the TARDIS, like, or like the doc, or like her, rec- her recollection of the, the doctor. I did this once before. And yeah. You actually rate, you reminded me of a very important point. Which is? How many times does Joe scream in this story? I don't think she does. Does she? Big fat zero. Yeah. A scary planet with invisible monsters and Daleks. And Joe does not scream at all. No. Massive kudos. Oh, uh, again, the... um... In, we talked about Joe's character development and her progression, mm. that kind of stuff. Her interactions with Wester, mm. I, I I love it because like again, in spooky invisible fucking thing, you know, you've no idea what's going on. Yes, you trust what he's saying as such, and like you know, you're not really in the best shape to fucking defend yourself because <laughs> of whatever. But she's a good read of people, I think. Yeah. Katie Manning told a great story about yeah. that. So obviously, the cops. And so that was all CSO. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> Casey had to act her heart out because she was amazing in those scenes. She, she like is. her acting was phenomenal in those mm. scenes. She had to act her heart out while keeping an eye on a screen really far away so she could tell where her eye line should be for where the bowls were. Ah. And if you remember, Katie is only partially sighted. Yes. And she was not wearing her glasses. She had no, no. fucking clue what she was looking at. She had no clue if she was looking in the right direction. Or not. She was trying to manage all that and act at the same time. So no. kudos to Katie Manning because yeah. she sold it 110%. Like just everything about her, her bravery, her ingenuity, like turn, like turning the timers back on the bombs because like, I don't know how to disassemble, uh, like, disarm them, but I know how to fucking turn a, a timer. A dial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, like, and again, just the whole thing of like, not trying to you know turn back the dial of the bomb that was about to explode it was like no just get what i can and get the fuck out of there because um, you know some people would actually try to yeah. turn back the dial no um 
Yeah, her fucking rambling next week is going to be tough. It's going to be it, so hard. It's going to be so fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And like I've said it before, and like I really have to give all the kudos in the world to Katie Manning because mm-hmm. with the little I had seen of Joe before this, yeah, I was not expecting at the end of what's now her third season, mm-hmm. I was not expecting to be so convicted around what her top episodes were. Absolutely. Like, it's, it is fucking... There's like, a, like, we have to pick three, and there's at least six yeah. for top contender. Also, this will be the, the, this will probably be the longest stretch we've had without a rambling because of the fact that it's a solo companion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Liz was so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> She was relatively easy compared to... <laughs> well, yeah, she, she, we just ordered hers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what fucking hell, like. Um, cool. So, Taryn, next. Dude, I liked you a lot until you treated your girlfriend, wife, whatever the fuck she is, like total shit. Yeah, I was going to say, let's get the negative out of the way first. Like, stop being a prick to Rebek. Like, I'll get into this more when I'm talking about Rebek, but... Mm. Dude, it's not like she stowed away on the ship. Mm. Whoever your commanding structure is agreed that she should go. Mm. Which means they didn't have an issue with the fact that her husband, boyfriend, partner... I, I, I just think boyfriend... Was on the other ship. Yeah, Whatever. I boyfriend. Um, well, I don't think it would even be boyfriend at the time. This is over if it was me, but... Uh, <laughs> um, he treats her like absolute shit. Yeah, because like every like that's the thing. Like they're constantly told that everyone that was selected for the missions mm. is ex- incredibly qualified. It's not like a, a Jesus Christ. Anyone will fucking do, you know. Yeah, they all it's volunteered. Like, they all volunteered. Like six hundred people volunteered. Yeah, and Kodal like was saying that like everyone in the engineering corps volunteered. That doesn't mean that they were all eligible. It means no. they all volunteered. And like, okay, no, right. This is the thing. Okay, I can appreciate. That he understands his judgment will be impaired because of his emotional connection to her. Mm. I, I, I can I can appreciate that he has that level of understanding, but to but he blows completely out of proportion. I think he like told he said, her that if the mission failed, it would be it's her because fault. yeah, exactly. No, that it's like, like you can say something like you know like I'm not sure if I can actually make the decisions that I'm going to have to make now, knowing you're a factor, mm. which still not great but at least you know it, there's a it's because i'm thinking about you and my feelings towards you not as a sort of like ah you fuck the whole thing now you stupid fucking <laughs> but as well i mean okay so let's put this way right so that's the negative part of him right mm-hmm. he is a good leader he is very considered he's much more reserved than weber mm-hmm. and he's less like but like, he's less likely to take risks anyway yeah <laughs> Do you know, like, the doctor says that, like, oh, him showing his humanity or his fallenness, um, doesn't make him a bad leader. It makes him a good... He was doing that anyway. He was saying, like, he was not going to commit to a plan until he was sure it could succeed because he didn't want to waste lives on a useless useless endeavor. Her being there doesn't change that. (laughs) No, like, it it, it doesn't. Like, okay, right. Because, like, I, I empathize a lot with 
Taron's mentality, okay? Because I play mm. a lot of strategy games where I play a lot of games where, like, for example, like Knights of the Old Republic or those big group RPGs where permadeath mm. is a thing for your characters. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I don't like making a tactical decision unless I'm guaranteed, like, a very high percentage outcome to get what I want. Mm. Because with games like Mass Effect or Knights of the Old Republic, I grow quite attached to certain characters and I don't want to see them die on my watch. <laughs> the same way with games like, say, Age of Empires or Total War, I don't want to get into a siege battle or something like that unless I know that I I have a very good chance of success in the first go. Mm. So not wanting to Leroy Jenkins the whole thing, I, I'm well on board with that. But when you have this team of individuals that you are greatly attached to, you are going to have to make a fucking decision, but you can't like proactively blame somebody. Oh, if it fucking comes out wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> it's like no, it, you can't. You can't fucking do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you know, thinking to other sh- you know, other shows that had a similar thing. Jack never said that to Sam. No, Jean Luc never said that to Beverly. Beverly fucking said it the other way around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, like, I mean, okay, yeah, there was that episode where he dated Nella Darren and he kind of proved that he couldn't do it. But, like, that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that wasn't true love. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no. Um, but, like, he never would have said to, like, okay, so I'm going to take an example, right? The High Ground, one of my yeah. favorite TNG episodes, right? Another Beverly Nerdler says something and then she doesn't. Fucking reasons. Um... They both get captured at one point in the story. And Picard says that it wouldn't have happened if she had followed his orders, which is true. And yeah. her response is, well, if you gave reasonable orders, I would obey. But he never says that the reason he lets her get away with being so fucking subordinate is because he's madly in love with her. Yeah. Or because they're friends. Or whatever. Because that's not her fault. That's his fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was just like because the way the badge, like it's like you know, Taryn's whole thing is like you know, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah, like I'm on board. I'm like you know, Team Taryn, all that kind of stuff. Then it's like it's all your fucking fault. All something. It's just oh, that's a huge dip, and I'm not sure if I'm going to trust the ride for the rest of the fucking. But like she says that like she was always on the backup crew. He fucking knew that. Like <laughs> surely he knew that she was on the backup ship. Oh, and stop. if he and if he did when well, he's like well it's okay if she's on the backup ship because the backup ship has to go that I'm fucking dead it's like oh yeah that's nice you had no issue with her coming to find your dead corpse hmm. but you have but an issue the, with her coming and finding you alive but like the thing is right okay you're all resigned to the fact that it's a suicide mission you're, you're all resigned yeah. to that so when she lands on the planet okay be angry with her with the fact that she's now also going to die not for the fact that Oh, well, the fucking mission fails. It's like, no, you, you she's going, she's going to have to fucking, oh God, I was just so fucking mad at that guy. Oh. <laughs> Let's move on to Caudal. Okay, I need to ask you yeah. um, a question about Caudal, right? So okay. I love Caudal's interactions with the Doctor. I think mm. they're so sweet. And I love his little back and forth at the end. Mm. Did you get a little bit of a coming out analogy from Caudal? Like my first note is here. Oh, cowardly lion! You had the courage in you all along. <laughs> um, I on the, this is the thing, right? I didn't pick up on that vibe. 
because mm. there's an awful lot of like, you know, okay, now that he's taken the Michael Jordan secret stuff, you know, like he's <laughs> capable of doing fucking whatever, like, you know. Um, but I suppose it's... Yeah, like that, it, yeah, there is a coming out analogy there in the terms of like being... F- Existing with with fear. Yeah, because the way you say that, like, he only volunteered because everybody else did. Yeah. And he's afraid to be different Mm -hmm. and afraid to stand out. Um, But that he doesn't think he's brave. And all these kind of things, it just sort of reminded me of someone struggling to come out, you know, hiding who they are by being just like everybody else. And even though they have this amazing amount of strength within them, not realizing that. And the way he thanks the doctor so much at the end. Joe, this wasn't just yeah. a, you know, like it meant so much to him. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just got that vibe. I don't know. Well, like this could be like the people that, you know, the jungle warfare analogy, like this could be something that maybe Terry didn't envision when he wrote it, but can, mm retroactively be like that um you know like i i can see it now i can i can see like just like out of all of the supporting characters codal is my favorite oh i agree he, he's my hands-on favorite i was Car- so scared in episode six when he's he like the timer's to- broken and i'm like what oh like especially because no i know i kind of fudged it a small bit in terms of the description because you know the way how i like to bunch mm-hmm. stuff together to make it but like he's trying to fix the timer and Latip wastes his bomb, stopping yeah. the first batch of Daleks. I'm like, oh no, someone's going to have to remain behind to fucking remotely activate it. And then I was like, oh, thank God. But then he was like, I'm going to go to the ship to check the flight you know, circuitry. And I was like, oh, God. oh no, wait, the Daleks are coming back to the ship. No. <laughs> I was so terrified. Get that, that like, fucking thing in the air. That like he would have to keep his hand on the bomb while it was in the fissure or something. Oh, he was going to have to do like a Miles Dyson. Like, I don't know how much longer I can hold this. Type yeah. Fucking thing. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, um, but again, kudos to Terry fucking making you oh, fucking think geez. that. Like, like by the end of this, Codal was someone that I actually wanted to see join them. I wanted to see him go to TARDIS. Me too. Uh, I think, I think that, that we kind of said that before. I think that's really the mark of a good story-based companion. Yeah. Would we have wanted to see more of them? And, and definitely. And like you say, like, you know, you know, thanks to Terry for writing the character. Fucking thanks to Tim Priest for actually oh, acting, yeah. doing the performance. Because Codal, be, by having that conversation with the Doctor, Codal becomes the right-hand man of the entire group. Mm. And he's the type of person that you just want to have in your team constantly because you know he's reliable. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Codal join them. Mm. Me too. Uh, so Weber next. Yeah, so I put Weber as a companion more so because he is part of that core trio. Yeah, from the beginning, mm-hmm. and that's really the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I want to say, though, Prentice Hancock, he doesn't have resting bitch face. He has I have no time for your bullshit face. <laughs> like Prentice, like we're going to get to a story in the future. Planet of Evil. Yeah, take this character and just copy and be- Prentice plays this type of character really well I think copy pace and fucking increase by five or something because like, he's such an asshole in that fucking story uh, like, no, he's pr- such a dick but the thing is, and this is the reason why I think I left him in 
companion and I didn't put him in prominent character. Because if I was going to put him in prominent character, he'd probably go in prominent character bordering on villain just because he's constantly aggro. Like, there's so much aggro around him. Well, because, see, this is the thing, like, and I suppose to bring it back to the origin of the whole prominent character Mm. discussion was, like, Clint in the Ice Warriors. Yeah. In the sense of, like, you know, his actions... They're not outwardly evil. Mm. I think more so than Clint, he's like almost prohibiting or impeding the group from actually trying to do, trying to succeed. But like, he's not evil, but he's definitely not a companion. I wouldn't classify him as a companion. But that's, that's just my classification because yeah. of Vapor. He comes across as that one guy in the in your D and D party that will get everyone killed because he wants to see some action. Yeah, but the reason why I left him there, though, and we both know who that is yeah. in our D and in our Groups. RPG games, plural, plural. We <laughs> both <laughs> the main one, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the reason why I left him there is that he's not a bad guy. He wants to destroy the Daleks. He wants the mission to succeed. And if Taran ever fucking gave him something to do. He'd shut the fuck up. Like, Weber's the type of guy where, yeah, he wants action all the time. But I think that's because he needs to feel like he's contributing. Sitting around, he doesn't feel like he's contributing. And we don't find out what his skill set is. We know that Taron was the medic. Mm -hmm. And we know that Kodal was the engineer. Mm -hmm. What was Weber's... Was Weber's security? But maybe not senior security? Because if so, it makes sense how he's like, I need to fucking do something. Give me something to do. But like, see, the only other thing that we have to go on is he just keeps on talking about um, Mira or Mara. The the, The original commander. The original commander goes, he was a real commander. He would have told, you know, he would have gone on the offensive type thing. And it's like, right, is it just like, are you a gung-ho action head or was it the fact that you only follow like direct line authority you know it's you know you're just a medic it's like you know if beverly has to take over the command mm. you know it's like oh you're yeah i look i'm a fucking senior officer type thing. well if you think about it that way right yeah. uh i've forgotten the name of it but uh oh the one where picard climbs the elevator shaft and sings for rajaka oh that's one of the kids um, Deanna is the one in charge. She's the yes. senior member on the bridge. Hmm. And Ro Laren, not fucking having it. Do you know, Ro wants action because yeah. that's the type of person Ro is. Ro isn't a bad person, though. Oh, no, but this, I'm not saying he's a bad person. Yeah, but, that, but that's why I think that's why for me he stayed in companion because, hmm. yeah, he was a dick to everyone around him. And it ended up at the end becoming detrimental to the mission but like he never gave them up no he, he was still 100% focused on the mission mm. and like I said I think had he been given something to fucking do he wouldn't have been an issue he's he's fucking Stephen <laughs> he's like, the, he yeah he's yeah, Stephen ah, bollocks <laughs> um, <laughs> 
like yeah. <laughs> in the scale in the scale of like you know companion com- prominent character villain like he's definitely on the the higher towards the companion side of things mm. but it's just the whole thing of like you he he, he tried to like, he went to apologize to Taran and Taran was like look fuck it like it's fine no bygones be bygones but then he fucking does it again and it's like you apologized for it the first time, yet this time you're fucking not having. It's like what? What has? Nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed. You're you're fucking one bomb down. <laughs> no, I don't know. For, for some for some reason, I'm like, oh, paper. You just want some. Although, right, what did nearly kick him into prominent characters and fuck you, Vapor, was mm-hmm. his comment about Rebecca. Oh, was horrible. We don't. Well, I can't remember what he said. We don't need that loop around our neck or something. Some, something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, where the? F- we never see those two characters interact. I'll actually look. Thank, thanks to uh, th- there's a great website, Chakotea uh, uh, which is like has all the scripts. Which is like if I ever like hear like a word that's like, wait, that sounds very rude for someone to be saying. <laughs> I look it up, and it's like, oh wait, no, that's what it actually is. That's why I have subtitles. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, so it's actually Taron is giving out to Va- uh, Weber is giving out to Taron, mm. um, and he says he wouldn't have had her hanging around our necks. So basically, causing her a fucking some sort of like dead weight or yeah, exactly. whatever. Which that was uncalled for. Like it, we it didn't was. even see those two fucking interact. And I, but again, like this is the whole thing of like you're, she's clearly qualified to fucking be. She's not an encumbrance. She's not just like you know there to be eye candy. No. And like actually, we might as well just talk about her next because yeah. I think it's a nice segue. Is like she, she's not there to be eye candy. She mm. contributes to the group. And no, she's in the background for a lot of it. Mm. She, like she is, but, but so she is could, Latap and yeah, oh yeah, but that's why Latap is like yeah. like I, I think I've got like one line about Latap. I have two. <laughs> <laughs> but like she's not, she's not eye candy she contributes she helps build the fucking barricade against the Daleks she climbs into the fucking thing yeah like she's it would have been cool to see her like blast a couple of them before mm. she had to get out of it but like I think her only damselly in distress moment is when like the thing isn't the hot air balloon isn't taking off as fast as they want and she starts to panic yeah because she's afraid of heights <laughs> and it's like but other than that like there's while there isn't a whole lot of her presence there there's nothing detrimental about her I think as well we also don't know what her skill set is so is she another medic possibly is she an engineer is she, what is she because that's we only find out what um Codal and Taran are we don't mm. find out the rest of them no. but like <sighs> For a character who was included to give diversity and someone for the female audience to relate to, she was treated like shit. You might as well have not had her there. Like, do you know? Like, it's one thing that, like, I'm going to talk about it more next season, right? Because I know what's coming next season. Barry, yeah, for all of his desire to represent women. 
he has trouble writing. Him and Terence together, because Terence is a big part of this as well, because Terence has said that he sees the companion as the screamer over in the corner, you know, mm. and they've both said that the reason why they got rid of Liz Shaw, besides that Caroline, Caroline Ford was pregnant, mm-hmm. was because um, not Caroline Ford, Caroline John was pregnant, sorry, yeah. Um, was because she was too smart. Mm. I was like, if this is the attempt you're going to make, lads, don't fucking bother. Because, like, but this is the thing I don't understand. You like over three seasons, they have built a character for being the screaming question asker mm. to being someone that takes their own fucking initiative to drive the story. Just replicated on a slightly smaller scale for the other fucking woman in the group. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's something that with Barry and particularly with Terence, because I've seen more interviews with Terence on the subject, mm-hmm. where. I wouldn't say Terence had a sexist view of the companion because I think we don't see them with a male companion until we get to Harry, which wasn't really yeah. them. It was more Philip and um and uh, Bob Holmes, mm-hmm. but they don't have a male companion, so we don't know if they would have been like this with a male companion as well. Mm. But certainly with the female characters they add, sometimes they're good. Like I think the president last week was good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're glad you shouldn't have fucking bothered. Like, um, what's her face from Time Monster? Yeah. Which is like, you're making very salient points, but you're just making me want to fucking ignore you because... <laughs> yeah, like, if you're not going to do it well, don't fuck like. Particularly if you're using it as a sort of, oh, look, we were very progressive. Mm-hmm. No, like, that, that's I, not the way I, it works. Um, I, I'm someone that, no, it may be an unpopular opinion, but if you're trying to get a point across, mm. in the age that we live in, the validity of your point is backed up by how well you present it. Yeah. And if you fly off the handle... No matter how fucking good your points are, that will be used against you and it will undermine the point you're trying to make. Yeah. And like you're going back to Rebecca herself, she was trained for this mission. She mm. was chosen for this mission. Their like, leadership council, whoever they may be, thought that she was competent enough to be on the back up yeah. mission. And actually, she wanted to be on the original mission. There's actually so much of Sam and Beverly in this character in some respects that's actually quite frightening um they thought that she was good enough yeah and the fact that taryn is like i can't do my job with you here if the mission fails it'll be your fault but if a romantic connection was going to be an issue leadership would not have allowed her to go yes exactly (laughs) like she deserved so much more (laughs) she she really did and like i would i would really i would be interested if there's a big finished story out there or even like some new who novelization or book that take like that explores what happens when they go back to Scarrow. Mm. Because I, I actually invest in a lot of these characters. Mm. I hope I she want. fucking dumps his ass. Maybe like fucking gives him the cold shoulder for a while to at least, you know, get oh, no. to... he doesn't fucking respect her. Dump his ass. Ian would never treat Barbara like that. That is very true. 
I think the only time he ever got mad at her was when she touched the thing that she was not meant to touch. It's like, for fuck's sake, woman, come on. Well, that was, she didn't know she wasn't meant to touch it. <laughs> she didn't, I can understand it. She did not know she was. He got understandably angry because she didn't tell him. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that she that, felt like shit. Yeah, there we go. That's For touching it, shouldn't be an issue. The fact that she didn't tell him that she was ill, that was the problem. Um, Sorry, I, I, yes, I amend that point, but the point still stands. <laughs> um, yeah, that that line, like it's, in, I admit, like it is tough to come back from that a fucking line like that. It's like, not, no, no, we wasted too much time on Taron. Fucking, <laughs> like a character that was so good, but then he fucked it up. Um, get together with Cordal. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, so, I would like to do Western next, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Wester hit me. I'm not going to lie. It fucking hit me. I was as connected to Wester as I was to Codal. Yeah. And I was terrified for both of them. And one of those terrors came true. And like, it's, I suppose it's a trope that like you have the, the renegade native fighting against the oppressor on his planet mm. and paying the ultimate sacrifice yeah. for that thing. And thankfully seeing it realized as like, um, what is it? A movie I've made reference to a couple of times because some of the production crew have worked on the same movie, uh, Krull, mm. uh, the Cyclops character. He's the last of his race, yet he sacrifices himself to hold the door open long enough for everyone to get through before he's crushed by it. And I'm like, I fucking hate that sequence because like they do try and save him and it's just like, no, like he paid the ultimate price and he's the last of his species. And it's just, ah, whereas with Wester, he's the only one rebelling. Yeah. And like, there's no second thoughts, absolutely no second thoughts throughout the whole thing. And granted, he has a very limited number of inter- interactions with people. But I think what helps, I think what helped establish the connection so strongly was the first person he meets is Joe. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously it's the whole point where the companion is our gateway into the show. So having Joe connect with him, it actually works, you know? Mm. So yeah, oh, his death, especially his little smile at the end. Oh, that fucking hit me hard. I was gutted because he's in the room near where the thing is that would have made him immune. Yeah. Had he stepped forward a little bit more, he would have gotten the thing and been immune. Do you know? As like, yeah. but I think what really makes it is a we finally see his face. Yeah, which I think is interesting, mm-hmm. and it totally makes sense. If you have a species that's invisible, yeah, can you imagine <laughs> if they didn't become visible when they died? Mm. He's a planet full of invisible dead people. Yeah. <laughs> just, scary just, what the fuck do I keep tripping over? <laughs> but it's the fact that he has this very small smile on his face. Yeah. And he dies. I won't say he dies happy. I think that's probably going to work. He dies content. Yeah. And when you consider the fact that, like, when he first met Joe, he seemed really afraid. Like the fact that she was going into because like he could have, and we may have seen in other types of stories like this that he would have, he could have bundled her into a basket and pushed her in himself. Yeah, but he wasn't brave enough. No, he stayed outside mm-hmm. and left 
this friend that he had made go off on her own. But then at the end, he had the courage to do it himself. It's actually, what's actually even the most gut-wrenching part of it is the doctor is right outside. Yeah. And you're wondering, because you keep hoping the doctor will find a way to solve the problem so he doesn't have to do it, so that Wester doesn't die. And it doesn't work. No. Do you know? Um, <sighs> it, it, was, it was actually like... <laughs> It was so gut wrenching. It really fucking is. Like I think, really... I think had they um, had they also killed off Codal, I probably would have been uncontrollable. Oh, like and like get into it more into the overall, but a fucking great example of why Classic Who is so revered and well done is its quality of writing. Oh yeah, it's the connection of... you have with the characters. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that they're wearing like weird purple fur coats, yeah, or that half the Daleks are made of wood, yeah, like despite the Barry that has misgivings about the sets and everything, you don't fucking care one jot because the writing and the acting is so top notch. Yeah, it really is. And there's Latap. <sighs> <laughs> Maybe I should have saved Wester to last. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Kudos to his actor, you know. Yeah. His actor was great, but Latif was such a fucking waste of space. Pretty he lady does nothing. Yeah, pretty he lady do- who I've just met and shared six words with. You are now my reason reason for living. But like, fuck off. Rebecca actually does something. Yeah. Latif does nothing. He slides a bomb across the floor, almost like a curler. Like he's that yeah. he's at your profession. And guess fucking- what? We've seen Joe could have fucking done that herself. Yeah. Because she's used the bombs before. Oh, he, yeah. Like, he falls in love with Joe in the space of 24 hours, mm-hmm. if even. Because <laughs> bear in mind, usually when the dialects talk about time, they use the word rels, which is yeah. basically the equivalent of an hour. Here they say... Cycles. Half a day on this planet. And you're like... Just, like, this plan doesn't even have, like, an appropriate number of hours for you to just say how many hours it is. Um, yeah, he's such a waste of space. Yeah. Well, he's a waste He's a waste of screen time. Yeah. There we go. There we go. There we go. That's probably, that's probably better. Um, <laughs> um, I was being perhaps a bit too harsh. Yeah. No, cause he is, like, because... It's just like, you know, you're now my reason for... Like, you know, I found a reason for living, and Joe's like, well... Good for you. Fucking, that came out of my breath. <laughs> um, because you feel kind of bad. It's one of these things where it's like, <sighs> Joe was just being nice. Hmm. I don't get, it's not like in Peladon where Joe, you can see her start building up feelings for Peladon. Yeah. And then he keeps fucking it up. But <laughs> she starts building feelings for And they've met since the first fucking episode. They, they had the full story to know each other. Yeah. She's just, she taught him how to shake hands, which apparently, I'm going to be a bit politically incorrect here, but it's the only way to describe it. It's let up a bit slow, because clearly the other members of the crew understood what a fucking handshake was. I don't think he's slow. <laughs> like, I, I don't think he is. Like, no, okay, but like, okay, he's definitely slow. And my sm- apologies for being so politically incorrect. <laughs> it was the only way I could think no, to describe it. No, he's like, he's definitely smitten. Um, 
but like I I don't know, it's just like oh the, that's because the, the problem as well is that because of the fact that you pair him off with Joe for mm-hmm. their which also I don't get what their mission was about. They were to they, go to the thing and climb down. So was they, that in case the others didn't make it? Yeah, so oh, okay. what, no, what it, no, what it was is that w- both groups were to get into the city, one through the front, disguised as Spiridons with yeah. a Dalek, and the other to get down the ventilator shaft. Whichever group got there first would wait for the last possible moment oh, okay, okay, for the cool. other group to arrive before sealing off. Okay, the that entrance. makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole time they're together, he's holding her hand, or she's holding yeah. his hand. I would say the other way around. I would say she's holding his hand. Yeah. You could see it that, oh, that's them building a relationship. That's also, Katie is blind as fuck. People always hold Katie's hand. We've discussed this before. (laughs) Katie can't really be allowed to walk around by herself. Because she will fall. Yeah. So, yeah. No. um, We've talked way more about him than we should have, but it's because... Like the, the the screen time that was wasted on him could have been given to Rebecca hoofing the two lads into the bollocks. <laughs> yeah, or like you know, making a choice and kind of being like, "Hey, fucking um, <laughs> cold love." What the fuck? No, Weber. Like, hey, fucking Weber. Come here a second. Yeah, like, fum, 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 fum. Yeah. yeah, I have top level hand to handy little bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> You address me by my proper title, you little bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is because they didn't write it. <laughs> um, and I suppose the Daleks. The Daleks. I actually like the Daleks in this. So, for me, Daleks kind of have an uppy downy thing of whether I like them or, or whether I don't. Mm. Um, but this, obviously, it's it's prime Terry Dalek mm. writing. Um. I thought the story was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, they had other people doing things for them. Which is... Which kind is kind of, of par for the course. It's one of the things I yeah. don't like in some of their stories. Like, I didn't yeah. like the Robo-Men. And like that, but in this story, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because this planet is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And these are the natives of the planet. Mm. So you enslave them to do the job for you. I get it. They're also experimenting on them, which you know puts it back into the more evil, yeah, evil category. Um, but I think it's very interesting the fact that we see how the Daleks developed. That they're experimenting on being invisible. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of them having this seemingly out of the way, <coughs> sorry, the seemingly out of the way um, base. With thousands of Daleks. Yeah. The point where everyone thinks there's like 12. They think it's a research outpost and that's all it is. And it gave, it gave me major vibes of Return of the Jedi. Mm. When they get into the bunker. Yeah. Only to realise that actually there's way more people on this fucking planet that you thought. Now witness the power of this fully operational Dalek army. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Supreme Dalek look kind of cool. Um, yep. I think Dalek, the imp- Dal- Dalek, Dalek Supreme, distinct from a Supreme Dalek, or whatever. because yeah, <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Big Mac, whatever. <laughs> Junior Vice President Dalek. <laughs> um, 
I think the implementation could have used a little bit more work, though, because his light blinks didn't match with the speech pattern. And his lights were so much brighter than the others. It was very hard to tell who was speaking. Mm. Which, when they all sound the fucking same, you kind of, the blinky lights are there for a reason. Yeah. So you know which one is talking. <laughs> when the blinky light is just going on, off, on, off. And there's another <laughs> blinky light kind of out of shot going, yeah. this is me blinking in time with someone talking. You've no clue who's talking. <laughs> no, especially in those days um, when they would, like, I suppose, splice the film. Sometimes there would be an overlay so that you'd have this weird blue, greeny blob at the side. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that that was probably the only criticism I had of that Dalek was uh, they need to do the timing on the light a bit more. And but I mean that Dalek was also built differently. Yeah. Do you know? And we back when we were discussing the movies, we said that they had built them not understanding the point of the blinky light mm-hmm. when they made the movies, and we discussed that back at the time a year ago when we were talking about them. Um. The other thing, I would have liked to have seen them do more with the invisibility stuff. Yeah, definitely. That was like a massive thing. I was like, oh, come on, come on. We need more invisible Daleks. But, uh, yeah, to the point where I thought Kodal was knocked out by Wester. Mm. So when he was captured by a Dalek, I was like, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I no, think... no, he was he was captured by two Spyrodons. They were just weren't wearing their cloaks. Yeah, but because they had the Spyrodons do it, yeah. I thought it was Wester. Oh, okay. But we know the Daleks can become invisible, so why didn't the Daleks just do oh. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but again, the Daleks don't like leaving the yeah the things or whatever. Um, but that was my thing. How about you? Uh, well, like every time I heard like the Dalek Supreme, I was just like, I know you want to flee me, but <laughs> right, right, that's the temptations. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. We're at the stage now, like as as I said back in the earlier episodes, I like the Dalek stories because each episode or each story brought a new dynamic to Dalek society. Mm. Now we've seen Supreme Daleks, Emperor Daleks, Dalek Supremes, as we said, Big Mac. <laughs> um, was it, or was it, BLT with cheese. What did I say? Uh, Jab at the Dalek or Dalek the Hut. But Stuff that I liked were actually, one was a throwback to uh, Dalek Invasion of Art, the virus bombing of the planet prior to invasion. Mm. I like that because yeah. it shows that the Daleks really are fucking evil. Mm. Like to the extent of it was like, it wasn't just humanoid, it wasn't just native spirals themselves. It was every fucking piece of flora and fauna on that planet was a bit, was going to be reduced to mulch. Mm. That is a horrifying concept. Like, how do you kill a dead world? <laughs> um, another thing I liked, you know, might seem slightly odd, but I think this is one of the very first times we've ever seen on screen a Dalek punish another Dalek for failure. Yes. Because... I in, actually quite liked that scene. I thought it was done rural. Because in Daleks and, or Dalek's Master Plan, we had the thing of where they blew up the, the scout ship that failed to capture the Doctor mm. and the others. But that was like, well, obviously the fucking thing is missing, mm. but it was done through a view screen. This one was up close and personal, so it's no different than like, you know, an officer pulling his gun out and shooting yeah. his man for failure. I thought that was incredibly well done. And it, it just shows the brutality of the Daleks, how they don't suffer failure. 
other than that, there wasn't anything hugely new here. Mm. Um, and I have a point, like, but the point about my major point about the Daleks would actually come into my overall. Mm. So we'll kind of get onto that there now in a sec. But other than that, Daleks doing Dalek things in a Dalek-y way. (laughs) (laughs) So we've had a very, very interesting character discussion. Mm. Uh, Wester Boo. (laughs) Latef. Boo. <laughs> so, um, how about we do what we always do at the end of the podcast and give it a score out of five? Cool. So, I really enjoyed this story. It has a little bit of. Okay, I'll get that in a second, right? I, I was going to give my score away and go on to for a bit. Like I said, Dalek stories for me can be a bit up and down. The Daleks, for me, I get they're iconic. And they're not... I much prefer human-ish villains. And you and I have discussed this before. I'm much more of a like mental fuckery type person. The Daleks, <laughs> the Daleks are your Boba Fett. <laughs> We're not having that conversation we literally just had. No. Um, I'm much more of a sort of... Like a, a mental fuckery yeah. type person, right? you yeah. know. Like you, you I like love the, characters you, like Hannibal and things like, like that. You know? Like the Moriarty to the home scenario. Yeah, um, and Daleks for me don't really fit that. Also, they're like magic; they can do whatever they want depending on what the story requires, <laughs> because they also have time travel. So yes. oh, okay. Um, but this one, I really liked it. I think the Daleks' plan made sense. It wasn't anything completely fucking bonkers. It made sense. It was thought out. Their interactions with each other were very good. Like you said, the fact that like we actually see a Dalek being punished and it's like he's trying to come up with excuses <laughs> to not be killed, I thought was fantastic. <laughs> it um, was Jim's fault and Fred's fault. <laughs> the character interactions were very good. The acting was very good. The ca- The callbacks is one of the things I loved. Um, I would have liked to have seen more recognition on Susan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the doctor before, he came in a ship called the TARDIS, yeah, and there were others with him. Yeah, Barbara and Ian and Susan. And, and the, the doctors just say, I would have liked to have seen him do, like, the Barbara and Ian and Susan. I would have liked to have seen more of a contemplation mm-hmm. on Susan. Um, even something as simple as when the Daleks immobilize him by numbing his legs. Yep. Like Actually, what happened to Ian. Nice callback. Very nice callback. I, I love. I like that. I like those little bits because it adds that throughput. I think the other Dalek stories kind of miss hmm. a little bit. Do you know? Um, so I thought that was great. He said stun. <laughs> it wasn't going to hurt you. <laughs> he said stun. <laughs> uh, okay, while we're doing... Those we just have to say it. I have a delivery for Mr. Feet, Mr. Bob <laughs> A. Feet. <laughs> okay, back, yeah. back to Doctor Who. Yeah. Back to Doctor Who. Um, there are things I would change, though. The main one being the treatment of Rebek. Yeah. I think the things with the Daleks that I wasn't a big fan of, I think a lot of those were probably more 
technical than story based. Mm. Do you know? Um, some people don't like invisible enemies being used too much because it's a bit of a cop out. But also, like people think that invisible enemies are cheap, but in these days they weren't cheap because. In order to show you have an invisible enemy, you have to show them interacting with something, mm-hmm. like holding a cup or whatever. And that involves CSO, which is time intensive and can go wrong. Mm. So I'm not, I would have liked to have seen more of it, but I'm not massively put off that they didn't do more of it. Okay. For me, and this is going back to what I kind of started saying a while ago, then I cut myself off. The story has a hint of the Romans for me. In that it has a very big <laughs> sexist thing, or creepy right. thing in the case of the Romans, mm-hmm. that I don't think is acceptable. And mm-hmm. we give out about it ad nauseum. I still give the story a five, though. <laughs> All right. Because I really enjoyed it. No, Similarly with the Romans, Nero was problematic, to say the least. Cool. So, But I still gave it a five. There's no pigs flying through the sky. <laughs> Apparently hell is still going pretty hot. So yeah, <laughs> Trisha Brady giving a Dalek story five out of five. Yeah, it's. Oh. I really enjoyed it. I was so into it. And like I was just bammed out on the couch going, this is really fun. And I think it's because, I kind of made mention to it, it kind of takes two of my favorite classic stories, which we're yet to see, and merges them together into one. <laughs> Um, which might not be the best way to look at it but you know that's what it does you know Um, also when you were saying it reminds you of the romans i'm like ah yes the infamous scene where the benny hill music as a dalek (laughs) chases joe around the place you knew what i meant yeah i knew what you meant um so yeah i gave it a five which is shocking i know um but you know, I, I can give fives every every now and again. This is my second one this season, which is <laughs> like, also bonkers. Yeah. How about you? Right, so I'll get the negatives out of the way first. Mm. Um, Latep's last minute declaration, and like his, basically his whole thing, that's time that it could have gone to Rebecca. It yeah. really is. Uh, to, you know, to really showcase her abilities and to kind of make Taran eat fucking, you know, crow humble pie her shoes whatever the fuck <laughs> is the tal equivalent of basically, shit, basically yeah pretty much whatever the tal equivalent is of, i'm fucking sorry uh, they i will forgive them for their fucking crime of having all the tals dressed the same because they were all wearing spacesuits <laughs> ultimate callback yeah don't ultimate don't you i've forgotten back. you fucking bastard <laughs> uh, i also I would have liked They're to also see all bit... still blonde. Yeah, well. <laughs> Clearly, no one else has come to their planet and, like, stayed. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why he wanted Joe to come back with him, because she's blonde. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> you, you could pass for one of us. Um, <laughs> here, here's our matching singlet. No, no, I'm not getting into this conversation again. Um, also, I think I would have liked to have seen a few, like, after. Because there were Spiridons there when they saw Wester die. I would have liked to have seen them like fucking help, you know, like a few more, a no, bit there more wasn't. resistance. There wasn't, wasn't there. They were all down. They were all down they below were, because they're right, they were being treated. Levels. They're on lower levels. Yeah. Like I think I maybe just at some point I would like to have seen like a bit more of a spiral in resistance. Mm. But 
And like, obviously, we had the issues with Taron being a fucking, you know, great name, being a massive fucking tool. <laughs> and, but that is the negatives out of the way. Mm. The positives. Recurring villain stories mm. can be very difficult to pull off, especially when there's nothing new being added to the recurring villain. Because there's no new dynamic that has to be overcome. It's just the story that was written and the actors involved in it. Mm. And for this one, it fucking just nails everything. It really nails everything. It moves along at a great play, great pace. It doesn't drag. I, I didn't think any aspect of the story dragged any bit whatsoever. No, I agree. And I kind of pat like the comment like that with Frontier as well. It they don't drag. They go along at a very, very fast pace. But not so much that you're constantly playing catch-up. It's just like, no, this is actually moving quite nicely. I'm engaged the whole way along. Kind of reminds me of the war games. In mm. the sense of, no, I had comments about Frontier and what I think maybe some of it could have mm. been trimmed, given the fact that they split the story. But I don't think there's an ounce of fat on this story. There's nothing that I would overtly trim. Well, actually, wait, no, sorry. Latap. <laughs> I would fucking <laughs> trim him. Um, but... The performances are great. There's a lot of strong performances. Katie has been fucking killing it these last couple of weeks. She's been doing great. Uh, really good stuff from the Doctor. A missed opportunity for a new companion because I would have liked to see Codal on the ship with them. It'd be fucking great. So yeah, despite my misgivings, I'm also giving this a five. Very good. I, I have a okay. question for you. Yeah. This is just something that just occurred to me while we were talking. There's two things actually. First is... What did you think of the end? When the Daleks realize they're left behind and you've got the Dalek Supreme being like, we are not defeated. Begin unthawing them. Yeah, it's like... That was chilling. I thought that was very good. It, it fucking is, because like it's, it's... It's no different than Power of the Daleks. Mm. At the very end, when you think they're all destroyed and the one last fucking one, his eye stock flickers as it starts to look up. Yeah. And it's just like... Like, it's like the T-1000. You got to make sure every fucking scrap of it is gone, otherwise it's going to... Mm. Uh, so, yeah, any Dalek left alive is a, is a, tr- is a problem. There's yeah. a future problem down the line. The second thing is... Here's something that, it occurred to me last night, and I forgot to mention it. So... <laughs> Latap was saying... like Joe was like, oh, look, it's a ship. You can take the ship and go back yeah. to Scarrow. Were her and the doctor planning to just fuck you off in the TARDIS and leave them behind? <laughs> I, said we'd, I said we'd help you with the mission. I did not say we'd help you get home. Because <laughs> at that point, yeah, the Tals still think this is a suicide mission. Like, what? Is he not going to drop them off? Uh, is he not going to try? <laughs> I think it's a case of, oh, good, we don't have to make a fucking detour. <laughs> but uh, no, because like, that would be what the Doctor and Joe were thinking. Mm-hmm. But they clearly never mentioned to the Thals, like, we'd be happy to take you in our ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Those of you that survive, we will bring home. Those of you that don't, we will make a very nice floral arrangement. <laughs> it's like... We destroyed the Daleks. We trapped them in the thing and we destroyed the Dalek Supreme by blowing up their ship. But now we're stranded. Yeah. Sucks to be you. <laughs> we're going to go in our magic box that can go anywhere in space and time. And it's actually quite massive on the inside. 
you may not have noticed that because you might have thought it was a bit weird because it's a big square thing. But no, it's actually quite massive on, on the inside and we're going to go. And uh, Rebecca, massive apologies leaving you here as the only woman with three men. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you clearly read a lot into that. <laughs> is odd that like even though they're all working together that time, I was like but this is still a suicide mission I'm like is it? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you have an escape route she's fucking sitting right next to you <laughs> I think it's maybe like okay suicide mission in the sense of okay we, we have a potential to get back but the likely outcome of us making it out alive is slim but he's saying that knowing that the Dalek ship is there would change how they view the mission. I'm like, why? That <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense. Fucking Latif. Because <laughs> he's the only one who says it. <laughs> so this takes me back to, is, is Latif special? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> still give it a five, though. Yeah, still giving it a five. <laughs> Oh uh, no, because like overall, like I really, I really enjoyed this. Actually, it was a point I had about Weber. Um, I said Vader there for a second. No, no it's a point I have about Weber. Um, a movie that I really enjoy watching. And I've mentioned it once or twice. Is uh, uh the Guns of Navarone, mm. which uh Gregory Peck and David Niven and a few others. And the scene like where Taron like takes uh, Weber's gun is like you know if you don't follow my orders, I'm going to kill you. Mm. Like there's a really good scene that that where like David Niven confronts. Uh, Gregory Peck's character over like taking decisive action to kill a spy in the group mm. not going to say who I'm just going to say everyone watch the mm. fucking movie but the decision is taken down to Gregory Peck's hands when someone else does the deed and then he's just like you know like you've got me in the mood to use this thing you better fucking do what you're meant to do otherwise by God I'll, st- I'll start using it and I'll use it on you first mm. and it's just like that's the thing it, there's only only so far you can push Taron before he fucking right you wanted action here's fucking action and mm. Um. So yeah, like there was just like a fucking thing that came into my head. But yeah, no, five out of five. Really, I I could easily see myself watching this on a Saturday. Not a bother. Yeah. And so our averages for the season overall, not doing too badly. You're on four point one three. I'm on four point five. The only dip there really is your two point five for Carnival. Yeah. So we come to the end of the penultimate episode of season 10. And based on those ratings, this potentially has the, this is the potential to become our highest rated season. Yep. If it sticks the landing. Yeah. Will it stick the landing next week in the Green Death? You'll have to tune in next week to see. Actually, no, sorry. Maybe our second highest because uh season six or sorry yeah season seven's writing at a 4.3 oh, yeah. liz obviously yeah duh. Duh. <laughs> Hodor. <laughs> um so yeah it'll be interesting so yeah um the green debt god there's some fucking lovely trivia about that <laughs> <laughs> talk to Until you next week, week guys bye, bye.